0: And this is Luca. This time on School Jeff, Chad and Clint finally have someone on the show who knows what they're talking about. They discuss ways to keep the teaching flame alive with their special guests. Also, Clint quizzes them on famous teachers, real and fiction. Okay, enjoy the episode. Peace.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Clint. And I'm Chad. This is Schooldia, A podcast about teaching, teachers, and sometimes administrators by two middle-aged dads, educators, and hipster doofuses who have never felt burnt out by their jobs.
0: Yes, everything's fine. Everything's perfect, Clint. I've never had anything to complain about.
1: Well, we'll get to that later, but first of all, how's it going? It seems like it's been a while since we last talked.
0: It has been a crazy six or seven weeks since we started 2024. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you Clint, but right now I have a daughter who's doing travel gymnastics, competitive gymnastics, my six year old Luca. Griffin's doing a travel basketball team. And then Daphne is now in high school. She's on the dance team being coached by Emily, my wife. So I have not had a weekend, uh, a full weekend since we've started this year. Which has been awesome. I'm not complaining. It's it's uh, it's been fantastic. But man, it is uh, really busy. It just feels like it's been just seven straight weeks of uh, very little rest. The one I should say, the one weekend we had was a super icy uh, five day sort of marathon of ice and canceled school, and that was kind of nice to just hang out and do puzzles and stuff. But it's been a really busy beginning of the school year. But just started our second semester at Astoria. Things are going really well. The days are getting longer, which is such a massive uh, improvement in my well-being to, you know, look outside at almost six o'clock and it's still light out. And so things are going good. How about
1: you? Yeah, that light has been nice, especially like, yes, at the beginning yes. of the day and the end of the day. Like I, I'm, I'm coming to school and it's starting to get light out and going home and it's still light out. Uh, but that is about to change for me because we are about to head into our next Drama season, just cast, Junie B. Jones is not a crook. Both Sarah, my daughter Sarah, and my daughter Misha are playing key roles in that play. Misha is playing Junie B. Jones. When they did the auditions, I had them do group auditions and part of the reason I had them do group auditions is so that they could see each other perform. And from what I've heard from the other actors, they were all like, yeah, Misha nailed that. I'm not surprised. Judy B. Jones has been her favorite book for a really long time. Like, she loved them when she was really little. She kind of identified with that character because she's well-meaning but obnoxious, which is Misha to a T. And so she had kind of a vision for what it would sound like. She's been thinking in this girl's voice for a lot of her life. So it was, it was pretty apparent right off the bat that she kind of knew who this kid was. Um, and the other characters, like all the other actors are, have pretty significant roles as well. So it's not like anybody is getting left out. But anyway, that's going to mean that, uh, I'm going to be burning the midnight oil a little bit. Um, rehearsals are going to run from around five to around seven every night. so that's gonna put a little bit of a damper on some of the things that I otherwise would be doing.
0: I've never asked you this, but do you have help doing this adult help or are you the only one running? Uh,
1: Not adults, not adults. I have some kids. Wow. Uh, I have a, a kid who is doing um, costume design and then we're gonna take a minibus over to Goodwill and try and find stuff that, that works. Um, uh, as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to go work on the set, on the stage. So, no, it's, it's mostly me, and then I can corral kids into it. Uh, sometimes cool. I can get adult help if, uh, if they're available, but as you know, small schools, it's hard to get people yeah. uh, who aren't already doing six other things. So, right. But it's exciting, and cool. it is actually, like, I didn't, I didn't think... It was something that I would be really into when I first started doing it. I was like, "This is just going to be really stressful," and while it is stressful, it's a heck of a lot of fun. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And when's opening night? Uh, May 9th. We will be doing it May okay. 9th, 10th, and 11th. If you guys want to come, you're welcome to be there. Road trip. Yeah, that's right. So that's that's it for me though. Like it's just kind of we're we're getting on the uh, on in the doldrums time of the school year. Where yep. there's not a lot of breaks, and so uh, I'm, glad to have, I'm glad to have the play as something to look forward to.
0: All right. Well, good for you. As you alluded to earlier, uh, today we're going to be discussing teacher burnout, something everyone goes through at some point or another.
1: Now, our longtime eagle-eared listeners will be aware of the fact that we talked about this topic back in March of 2018, apparently March is burnout month. <laughs> but we still think there are things to discuss and learn about this expansive topic.
0: Yeah, especially since this time it's not just me and you doing the talking.
1: That's right. We're bringing in a special guest who may actually know what she's talking about. Unlike us. Correct. So, without further ado, let me introduce our guest expert and friend of the pod, Sarah
2: Oyo! Hi, boys.
1: Hi, Sarah. Excited
2: to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. How are you doing?
2: Doing really good. Just off the heels of a trip to Disneyland and back here at Astoria High School working as an instructional coach. And things are going pretty good, I would say.
1: Pop quiz. What is the best ride in Disneyland? Go. Mm,
2: You know, I think I liked the, what's the Guardians of the Galaxy ride? where you go up and then you come down. Yeah. It used to be the Tower of Terror. I, I don't know what it's called. I think it's Guardians of Galaxy. Oh. That was really fun. It was funny because my husband described it as, oh, it's not that bad. It's just a ride where you just kind of go up and down. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, that's true. We did do that, but.
0: Did he say that to trick you or is that really how he sees it?
2: <laughs> that's really um, what he said. And then he was cackling. <laughs> to us. So it was pretty great.
1: Was it not as big of a deal for him because he already stands at the same height as the tower?
2: I mean, it could be, you know, it's re- what's really funny. We were actually waiting to go on, I think, star tours. And so my husband's 6'10". He's super tall. And he's, we saw Chewbacca. And I have, these, I have these pictures and they're so great. Uh, they saw each other and both of their arms go up like they're measuring each other's height above their heads. It was really Great. And Chris is not as tall as Chewbacca. Oh, that's that's impressive.
0: Awesome. So I, so one thing I want before we get into the, the teaching stuff here, um, Sarah has been transitioned. Uh, she was a social science teacher for a long time, taught psychology and honors U.S. history. And the last two years, Sarah, you've been our instructional coach at Astoria High School. Can you talk a little bit about what that role is and what it means uh, and sort of what you do on a day to day basis?
2: Yeah, so I spent 19 years in the classroom. Um, I also have a school counseling license. So I've done a little bit of that work too, but mostly classroom work and teaching like some dual credit stuff with psychology and personal finance. And so a couple years ago, our district, I think as part of their strategic plan, which was really to put more of a focus on instruction, um, supporting teachers, and then workforce retention. And so that's how the job, I think, was born in our district. And so a friend of mine during the summer called and said, hey, there's this position and I think you should apply for it. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And so I applied for the instructional coaching position, not really knowing if I really wanted to leave the classroom because I really loved teaching. But I took a weekend to think about it and then I, I got the job. And so my job as an instructional coach here at Estoria High School is I think pretty special because in a lot of bigger districts, instructional coaches work out of like a central office and then they come out into the building. So one thing that's I think special about the way our district is doing it is we are in-house coaches and all of us in our district have all taught in the buildings that we are working in. So there's that kind of foundational piece. My focus here in our building is supporting teachers just generally. I call it like school counseling for teachers. So just being like a sounding board, giving space for teachers to vent or talk about things that they're dealing with school or otherwise related. And then I do a fair amount of acute, hey, I'm working on this rubric. What do you think about this? Or I need these, I what can you tell me about, you know, X, Y, and Z? So I do a fair amount of that day to every day I'm doing that kind of work. And then I do longer term what are called like coaching cycles where I'm usually working with two to three teachers at a time and they're, they've set some kind of a goal. Like we figure out what's the current reality in the classroom. What, what do you got going on? Where do you need support? So we talk about that. We do a little brainstorming whether it be resources, instructional strategies, whatever. And then the teacher goes back and experiments. I like to call it experiments. They experiment with whatever we've talked about. And then sometimes I come in and watch. Sometimes I come in and co-teach or model. And then we sort of collect data, see how things went, maybe refine some things. And then they try it again. And then sometimes I go back in and do some support work there. So um, I also do some PD in our building That's are sort of like district initiatives, which has been good too. But like the real meat of what I do is directly working with teachers around instruction.
1: For those people who listen to us but aren't teachers, can you define what PD means real quick?
2: So PD is just professional development. Um, and in our school district, our professional development is tied to our strategic plan. So we've got some specific areas that we're focusing on uh, around instruction. Right now we're working, we're thinking about differentiation and all the different elements of what that looks like in a classroom. Do you find
1: yourself mostly working with brand new teachers or do you work with basically every teacher in the in
2: the building or how does that end up shaking out? I am for sure working with brand new teachers, um, but we also have new teachers to the building who are experienced. And so our new teachers to the profession folks it's a lot of a lot of things um but also around instruction specifically um or classroom organization or you know behavior management or whatever newer teachers it's more like helping them adjust to school culture helping them find resources sometimes it's around instruction or a little bit i would say less um less in that area and and maybe even the helping them connect with other teachers who may have experience with whatever it is that they're working on. Perfect.
0: One of the neat things that Sarah has going on is she has an office in the academic wing of our school. It's separate from the administration section. It's a really cozy space, couches and nice lighting. And it's very inviting for staff to sometimes go and plop down. And I mean, I do it too often bounce an idea off her or or sharing thoughts that I have. So I think that helps kind of being separated. Her role is sort of a nice in-between between between staff and administration where she can sort of help problem solve a lot of the things that previously would be something an administrator would be tackling.
1: That's got to relieve some of the pressure from those teachers. It's not so scary to go to your administrator with like, hey, I think I screwed this up to have somebody that's kind of a liaison that can guide you through the process without necessarily feeling like you're going to get punished. Uh, I do have one other question, because we have a teaching coach in our school as well, but she works half-time as a teacher, and then the other half of her time is going around and coaching. I was just curious if you have any classes that you are still teaching, or if you are a
2: full-time teacher coach. So up until this semester, I have been strictly instructional coaching. This semester, I'm teaching one section of a social studies class called Superhero Sociology. And it's sociology. So we're using the sociology standards, but we're using the sort of superhero world to explore concepts and topics related to sociology. So it's been great. Part of it also is as like almost like a laboratory class where I can try some things out and do some different things and bring it back to other other teachers. So it's been great. It's definitely takes up some time, but um but it's been really
1: great. That's excellent. Was that an idea that you had uh to to get back into teaching or was that something that administrators asked you to do or how did that come about?
2: That was my idea. And I just don't wanna lose touch with the classroom. It happens really fast, no matter how much of an in the trenches person you are. And so I just want to maintain like one foot in the trench where I am still having to think about getting grades in the grade book and differentiating for actual students, not just for professional development. So it's been really good. I think I've got time for one class like I'm doing now. Excellent. Well, that's a
1: great intro to all of the things that you're doing and kind of leads into our first topic because we're going to be discussing, as, as the title of our podcast tells you, we're talking about teacher burnout. And a statistic that I came across just recently is that 33 or a full third of new teachers leave the teaching profession within three years of starting. And most of the time, I think that that comes from being extremely overwhelmed. So I think it would be a good idea for us to just kind of talk about what are some of the challenges that new teachers face and then if you are a new teacher, what can you do to deal with those problems?
0: I, anytime I see statistics, I, you know, I wonder what that number compares to with other professions as well. That may be fairly typical for any profession. I know today most people will have a variety of different careers, and so it's not as uncommon as maybe it was. You and I have talked about this, Clint, how you know our parents growing up, it's like you got a good job, you, you stuck with it, and now there's a lot more flexibility in that. In my personal experience, I think some of the biggest challenges I had in the first few years was simply just it not being what I thought it was going to be, sort of building up what teaching was going to be like and the life of a teacher and everything else in my mind, which is wild because I had two parents that were teachers and I saw it every day of my life, but still just once you get into the daily grind of it and realizing it's much more challenging to connect with kids, you you think you're going to get in there and every kid's going to be dialed into your lessons and you're going to have this engaging discussion and all those kind of things. And then you get into a classroom and and you realize it's a a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. I think sometimes that's the the beginning point where you start saying, man, is this what I want to be doing?
2: New teachers too, there's such a learning curve with everything. It's not just like, I've got to figure out my curriculum. You've got to figure out how to manage behaviors, how to create systems. Like you have no basis for any of that stuff. And those are all the things that we all put into place to help us do the teaching and new teachers, man, they're starting from scratch. And it's just, it's a really big learning curve.
0: Yeah. The organization of like grading, prepping those types of things, you don't think about as much when you're getting into it.
1: Just the simple aspects of how are you gonna deal with bathroom passes. If you are doing handwritten work, you've gotta have a place to turn it in, you've gotta have a process for how you're gonna grade, you have gotta make sure that it gets in in a timely manner. So absolutely, having systems in place is such a big deal and things that you don't think about When you're student teaching, because when you're student teaching, all you're doing is following the rules that your mentor teacher has set up. That culture is already made. So being able to develop a classroom culture that works is a big challenge.
0: With positions like Sarah's, and I would like to think that other districts and schools are looking at instructional coaching as, as a huge advantage to retaining teachers because when I go back 20 years, when I first started, if you got lucky and there was another teacher in the building that sort of took you under their wing and gave you a lot of those tips that you're ta- that we're talking about here, the things that make your job easier, or even like the tips about classroom management, or if you had a good administrator that spent a lot of time in your classroom that was productive in that way, it probably helped us along. But that hasn't always been necessarily the case, and a lot of times it's sort of like synchronous swim. And positions like Sarah's and the work that Sarah does in supporting teachers in all those areas where like, man, I'm not getting my grading done, or I'm really struggling with this one student. Do you have any tips? Or how do I not spend 12 hours a weekend prepping for the next week? And learning that earlier on so you don't have to kind of learn through the school of hard knocks is one, I think, really important way to to make sure that we're not getting 33% of our teachers leaving
2: yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that we've done in our building that's been a little bit of a newer thing to the beginning of the year, our new staff has a little more time than the regular folks who are coming on like during regular in-service. So they get a little bit of extra time to be in their classrooms to set things up. I get paid time to come in and support them on those days. We've also started organizing all of our syllabi and our curriculum maps so that we can get teachers those kinds of structures and things that they need to kind of build out what they're doing. We're much more intentional than like when I started in the late 90s, which it was like, okay, here you go. And I, I I, was literally just doing it all myself. I think it's also important
1: for us to remember that the pay scale for brand new teachers is really low. It, I mean, in most districts, I don't know what it's like in Astoria, But I know that if you're a new teacher here in Umatilla, your ability to just live life, especially if you've got student debt, uh, it can be very challenging to get going. And the amount of work and stress that a person has compared to the amount of pay that they get is disproportional. I remember there being management positions available at the local Panda Express that were like $15,000 a year more than I would get as a 15 plus year teacher when I worked in Virginia. So it can be very, very challenging to be able to make ends meet while at the same time making things work in your classroom. And I think a, a solution to that might be allocating funds, not necessarily for salary, but definitely for school supplies, decorations for walls, other kinds of things, so that way teachers can get going. My room is full of stuff that I've accumulated over the last 20 years of teaching, and to walk in and have nothing and then walk next door to get help from another teacher and look around and go, oh, I don't have any of this stuff. I'm doing a bad job. or I feel like there could be a lot more help, especially with elementary school teachers, where the, the classroom dynamics are so important, it would be great to have more money allocated for people to, to kind of get that going.
2: I would also add just even the mindset. You don't have to have all of the answers. Your classroom doesn't need to be perfect. It's like the first year you sort of get something produced. Like say you're working on an assignment for students. Get the assignments produced and the next year you can make it look pretty. But this year, good enough is good enough. And that mindset that some new teachers come in with, that they have to have it all figured out. When in reality, it takes three to five years to really get your feet hit in the ground where you have some traction in what you're doing. I was really lucky as a new teacher in
1: that I didn't think I was at the time, but it turned out to be really great. I was a half-time teacher. I half-time taught and half-time sub, and that was because that was the only position that was available. We had just had Ty, and it was like, I just need a job. But it turned out really well because I taught in the classroom with other teachers on their prep periods and they would give me feedback every day most of the time that feedback was oh my gosh i never would have thought to try something like that that's so cool and sometimes when things went wrong they would brainstorm with me "Ooh, i saw that you did this maybe try these other things and just having that ability to then on my days off or when i was subbing to go around and see what other people did and then also be able to have enough time to really prep the four or five classes I had instead of worrying about all seven or eight. So I think that uh, easing brand new teachers into the job would make it so much more effective for teachers to be able to perform at that high level.
2: Clint, I love that you bring up the idea of kind of leaning on or learning from other teachers like in real time. Something I'm working on actually right now with the mentees, each mentee has one full day sub just to be able to go and observe other teachers. So that's actually our goal for this second semester is getting them in to other classrooms with a sub and then with me to kind of help debrief and kind of talk about what you're looking for as you go into that classroom. But that's a really, really easy way for new teachers to learn from experienced ones. And as we
1: talk about experienced teachers, I think our next stage of the teaching life is kind of that seven-year itch where you've got your curriculum down, you've got all of the systems down that make your classroom work well, and then you start to get antsy or you start to get a little bit bored. And it's like, I've been doing the same thing for quite a while now. How do I keep the flame alive? And I think that can be a big challenge for people.
0: This is about where I started exploring administration. I think one of the, the biggest challenges with our system of education as a whole is there's not a lot of, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, promotional opportunities or opportunities to adjust or change the work that you do within the field of education, unless you want to go into administration, which is not necessarily what everyone wants to do. Fortunately, I think positions like Sarah's, I hope those increase in availability because I think those are nice opportunities for people to do something different. I mean, I think that's part of it. We talk about salary a lot, and I think that's one of the challenges. But it's also just, you know, you get to seven years, you start to maybe get more comfortable. And teaching can be very repetitive. If you're teaching the same classes year in and year out, you're teaching the same lessons, you're running into the same issues every year. Yes, you're adjusting, but you're getting better at it. And sometimes the better you get at it, the more mundane it maybe becomes. I think about my brother-in-law, he works for PGE in Portland, Portland General Electric, and, and he's worked there for 20 years, and he has been able to explore different positions within his company for years. His boss will recommend him for a new opening, or he'll reach out and apply for something else, and he's sort of gotten to jump around and w- either increase his salary or change what he does on a day-to-day basis or change his hours or adjust things, but he's always had these opportunities to like do new things that have sort of invigorated him, and that just doesn't really Really exist in education right now unless again you want to go into like administration or their positions like Sarah's uh, available to you so I think that's one of the challenges is just finding challenge finding something that it gets you excited about that next year coming around you know Clint you
1: you moved uh, and that was part of it right it was part of just like I need to try something new the reason I moved is because I felt very trapped by the curriculum and the classes that I was able to teach thankfully as a language arts teacher which might be different from a math teacher or a science teacher, I could have taught any age level. But at the time, I was teaching seniors. I had a journalism class, and I was being pretty effective. The seniors were graduating at a pretty good rate. I was able to get them through some of the senior project and paper stuff that is very difficult to do, and we were putting out a pretty decent newspaper. I felt like I had no other option other than to leave the building. So I think maybe even... Like as you notice as an administrator, as you're having conversations with the people that you're in charge of evaluating, how are you doing? How are you feeling with this curriculum? Do you need to change? And like putting that out there for people would make it so that you have permission to be like, yes, I think I would love to try teaching freshmen next year. I would love to give that a shot and see how that goes. I've observed it from afar. I have some ideas. I want to try it out. And I think that's, Chad, where you don't necessarily get a promotion, but just a shift in responsibilities where you're able to do something that maybe you will find a little bit more... Fulfilling in that moment because you have to actively work at it instead of passively do the things you've always done.
0: The first school I was at years ago, the math department rotated the classes they taught every two years. So, you know, two years you'd have like the high end calculus and pre calc kids, and then two years later you'd have the freshman algebra class. And I think that was a good idea. I mean, I don't know if everyone loved it, I'm sure everyone kind of had their comfort zones, but I think strategies like that can be really helpful in keeping
2: things fresh for people. I think in a math class, too. Too, where you really are using the textbook to set the framework for your lessons, that seems like less of a lift than say in, I don't know, social studies class where you're really having to develop your own
1: lessons and things like that. And I do think that like you have to be certified to teach the upper level math or if you're a science teacher, you can't necessarily slide back and forth between biology and physical science or earth science or whatever. You have to have those certain degrees of expertise, but also giving teachers the opportunity to build an elective class where environmental science is very important. It falls under my purview. So instead of just teaching straight geology all the time, I'm allowed to have some flexibility and take this one class that I'm really excited about and put a lot of energy into that, giving just some kind of option to help teachers not feel so stuck.
0: Yeah, I did that for about six years. I was fully math, but I was also, I'm, I'm also certified in health and PE and taught a class called human performance that was an elective class for upper level kids. And we just talked about exercise science and physiology and sports medicine and anatomy and all those kind of things, things that I was really passionate about. I was really fortunate to have administrators that A, let me do it. And we had a schedule that allowed it. But I spent much of my planning time and sort of energy on those classes towards the end because I was pretty dialed in with, as Sarah said, you know, the curriculum's kind of laid out for you in, in the math realm. So that really kept me going for quite a few years.
1: So now we're kind of approaching the time that the three of us have found ourselves in. We've been in the education system for 20 plus years. And this is the time where we're starting to look down the end of the road at retirement we're thinking about how much longer are we going to do this job? Where are we going to go with it? A lot of teachers, especially as they get into those last five years before they retire, kind of get that teacher senioritis where it's like, let's just kind of float our way through, do the bare minimum so that way we can get through it. And it also turns a lot of teachers cynical because we all know that the education system is very cyclical. Things that when you first started teaching went out of fashion and now they're coming back into fashion. I remember working with some teachers who'd be like, oh yeah, we've tried this three times before at our PD meetings and other stuff. So how do we, as we are getting into this retirement age, Sorry to age shame us. But uh, as we're getting into that later aspect of our careers, how do we try to keep our love for teaching alive and not get so cynical that we think we already know everything?
2: I actually have been thinking about this a fair amount in my role. And Chad, I'm wondering too if you may get this too, but in the work that I do with everybody. And so you get all the different narratives that people have around the work that they do. And one thing that I have realized this year, is how important it is to surround yourself as much as you can with people who have the mindset that this is an important job, that you don't get that cynicism. If you're around folks who are cynical, it will affect how you view what you're doing. And so being a little bit mindful around, you know, the folks that you're surrounding yourself with most of the time at school, I think can have a big influence on mindset moving forward. In my career, I've been really fortunate
0: to see a lot of teachers that are at the end that are killing it and doing awesome. I would say that more so than the people who have mailed it in their last few years. And partially, maybe it's because they've stuck it out. I mean, maybe the people that were going to mail it in quit before then. But I think if I was teaching now, you know, as I finished my career, I think what I would make myself do is take a new teacher under my wing not formally, but just say, I'm going to reach out to new teachers. Cause I think it forces you to make sure that you're not being cynical. I mean, when, when someone comes to you having a rough day with challenges, you're not going to be like, well, good luck, buddy. Cause you got 20 more years of that. You're going to look for the positives and you're going to try to share those things with them. And so I think that would be one thing I would try. I mean, that's, that's sort of what I do a lot of now trying to convince people that the work that they're doing is valuable and meaningful. And because, you know, you do get people that come to you after a hard day or a hard year and have those questions about what they're doing. And so I think that's one strategy I would try.
1: Yeah, I think trying to remain as involved as you can while also balancing your own boundaries and the amount of work that you can do. You can't become a yes man who just does everything that everybody says, but trying to help out with the different activities that are happening. High school teachers continuing to show up at sporting events and seeing the parts of the school that are vital and energetic and fun and using that as a way to keep yourself excited rather than kind of turning it into that nine to five job.
2: Yeah, I love that, Clint. I think being responsive to our students as much as we can, going to events, meeting their needs when we're here with them at school, to me that fuels what I do, you know, every day. But there is also a balance to that. Like if you're doing that all day, every day, and you're not leaving time for yourself to go home at a reasonable time or to do something you enjoy with your family at home, like have home be home and work be work if you can like figure that balance out i actually think that cuts down on the burnout later on or or when you're at
1: work i don't remember who it was that said this but i think it was hank green a youtuber and science communicator he's talked about his kind of 80 percent principle of i can work really hard and get something to 80% of the perfect platonic version of whatever it is I'm trying to do. And that takes a certain amount of effort. But then to get it the last 20% would take equal amount of effort uh, to where it's absolutely everything I expected it to be. And most of the time, for most projects, 80% is enough. And that gives you all of that extra energy to do other things that, that give you fulfillment in your life. So while you don't phone it in, you still get it to a high quality product, but you don't break yourself trying to make it perfect. And that I think is one of the biggest things with burnout across all of the eras of teaching we've talked about is pushing yourself so hard that you don't give yourself time to be yourself and you are just teacher. You're not a parent or a spouse or a friend or all of the other parts of our humanity that we have to balance. If we just make ourselves our career, then of course we're going to burn out because that's just not enough for anyone.
0: Yeah, like Sarah just said in the, uh, the chat, she said perfection is not real. Uh, and once you can realize that, that can be a real big game changer. So one other strategy, kind of getting into the last three to five years of your career, look at being creative in terms of how you want to finish. And I'm going to use my dad as an example, and we will have it, we plan to have him on sometime this year. But his last maybe five years, he went to halftime. Uh, he was an elementary school PE teacher and I think was just looking at the last five years. And while it may seem like a small chunk of time in the whole scope of a career, five years is still a long time. And he was just getting really burned out, especially with K through two. So he ended up going halftime his last few years, worked just in the mornings, got up, got to work, taught grades three through five, finished at lunch and came home and got to kind of begin his retirement early. It was also a nice transition, hired the, the teacher that ended up taking his spot full time and, and ended up being a really positive thing. But go to your HR if you're getting close to the end of that career and, and figure out what options are. You know, Talk to the people that do your retirement and figure out what options might be available for you to get creative with your last few years so that you can have energy to be a good teacher and to be a good colleague and all those things and, and be able to finish your career in, in, a, in a way to you know, be financially sound, but also actually enjoy the last few years of your, your career.
1: You kind of alluded to this, Chad, but this kind of goes back full circle to my situation when I started my career as a halftime teacher. And so to kind of make positions for new teachers where they can come in and not have to do everything in the world and be mentored by the previous teacher is such a valuable experience it works well for both sides
0: all right i think we wrap that up
1: yeah i think we're i think we're done
0: awesome well sarah thank you so much for joining us
1: do you really have to go if you stay after our break you can play a game with us
2: I'll stay for the game. Guys, it's been so much fun. You are two of my most favorite people and teachers to be teaching with. So thank you so much for the invite.
1: Yay. You're welcome. Yay. Woohoo! The more the merrier. And you know what makes me feel extra merry? Christmas? Yep. Also, fake ads. Today's episode of Schoolja is sponsored by Fairspace. Everyone wants life to be fair, but no one wants it more than your students. No matter what you do, someone is going to cry out, That's not fair! for every one of your decisions. But it doesn't have to be that way. Using an online platform that you design with simple drag-and-drop tools, Fairspace allows you to create an artificial intelligence virtual arbitrator, or AVA, that makes all decisions for you in a completely fair manner. You told the students they would get free time if they all worked hard and everyone except Allison did their work? Ask Ava what's fair.
0: The entire class loses the opportunity to have free time. You said all. Not everyone except Allison the lazy jerk.
1: Additionally, it can help students decide what to do about the rule breaker. Jump her. Fair space. Because you deserve a break, and those kids are animals.
0: And welcome to the final segment of the show. Well, guys, do you know what time it is? Uh, It's 10.30 a.m. It's game
2: time! What is wrong with him?
0: Nobody knows, Sarah. Nobody knows.
1: Probably a chemical imbalance. Today, I'm going to quiz you on your famous teacher knowledge. I will read a description of a famous teacher from real-life film, television, or books, and the first person to buzz in with the correct answer gets the points. If you get it with no hints it's worth two points. If you get it with hints, it's worth one point. Your buzzer is the raised hand thingy on Google Meets. Not a sponsor. Do you have any questions? Let's do it. Before we get started, I do want to give a quick shout out to three of my students, Zamara, Alex, and Jenny, who wrote most of these questions for me. They told me that they would listen and wanted to shout out. So hi, y'all. Also, I deleted all the Montessori questions because you can't control me. So there. Question number one, who was Billy Madison's kindergarten teacher who read the story, The Puppy Who Lost His Way? Her name has something to do with your face. Everyone's face. A famous line is, thank you very much, Miss Happy Face. It's not happy face. Lips. Nope. Lippy, Miss Lippy, Miss Lippy. Miss Lippy, Chad gets the one singular point. Okay, hopefully this next one will be a little on the easier side for you. Question number two, who was Bart Simpson's fourth grade teacher? Is it kind of like a Greek sounding name? It does sound a little Greek, but it is a sour fruit. But it's not pronounced that way. It just is spelled that way. Starts with a K. The last part of her name is Apple, and she feels cranky all the time, which would make her crab apple. Crab apple. Now pronounce it right. Crabapple. Crabapple. Oh, Sarah! Sarah 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 raised raised her hand. hand. Sarah, what's the answer? You can. You can. Sorry. It's yours. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to a real teacher. A real teacher. Who was the teacher that helped Helen Keller learn to read, write, sign, and speak?
0: These girls put together a tough quiz.
1: They did. Her initials are A.S.
0: Sarah, is this at the tip of your tongue? You have a look on your face like you should know this.
1: It is. Um... Her last name. going to be so mad when I. Her last name is the same as the last name of one of the two monsters in Monsters, Inc. Sullivan? Annie Sullivan. And Sullivan is correct oh, to Sarah. Good job, Sarah. Very good. It's two to one, Chad. All right. Who was the teacher, this is number four, who was the teacher that was haunted in the classic Halloween story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow? He's a tall, skinny dude.
0: You just did a thing like the, uh, the advertisements outside car dealerships with the, yeah, wavy hands.
1: Yeah, my family calls those wigglers. Wigglers? <laughs> I,
0: I don't have a clue. I wouldn't know it if I heard
1: it. Uh, his last name is a bird. Crow? No, but it does start with that letter. Ichabod Crane. Ichabod uh, Crane.
2: We get to share that.
1: Okay,
0: I feel like we're working this out together.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think These so. Are hard. Okay, Sarah and Chad, this is right up your alleys because Sarah has recently been there. Who was Ariel's music teacher in The Little Mermaid? Chad. Was it Sebastian? It was Sebastian. All Sebastian right. the Crab. Two points for that one. No hints. All right, okay. This one's a toughie. I already regret making this one because this is one I wrote, it's not even the kid, I'll take, I'll take responsibility. Who did Jack Black's character, whose name is Dewey Finn, pretend to be in the movie School of Rock? You want the actual name?
2: Yeah. The teacher he replaced.
1: Yes, what's that guy's name? You're gonna, I- I'll give you a hint, his first name is Ned. Uh, let's see, can you tell me his relationship to this person? Neighbor? Who was Jack Black's character? Who was the person? Oh, they were who roommates. Beneath. They were roommates. His name was Ned Schneebley. Hmm. Ned. Give that Schneebly. to Sarah. Nicely done. Half
2: a All half right. a point.
1: Okay. What's the name of the teacher Robin Williams played in Dead Poet Society?
2: Um Oh Captain My Captain.
1: Uh, yes. Mr I'll give you a hint. Starts with a K. Last name starts with a K.
0: I think I knew that already. What does it
1: end with? Ing, I-N-G.
2: Keating, Mr. Keating. Yes, yes.
1: Sarah. Come nice job, Sarah. Okay, so currently it is five points to Chad, four points to Sarah. What teacher from the well-known Roald Dahl book, movie, and musical called Matilda is as sweet as her name implies? Sarah. Miss Honey. Miss Honey is correct. Sarah takes the lead by one point. I thought you said it was five to four. I know but she got 2 points. Oh yeah, I hint. forgot about this weird point system. It's not a weird point system. It's a perfectly valid point system. Okay. Who was Daniel Russo's karate teacher? Chad. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi is the answer. Okay, it's 7 to 6, Chad. We've got 5 more Holy questions. Cow. This is a long quiz. What famous elementary school teacher is well known for her pet iguana and
2: bus? Um, uh... do you say Butt? Yeah. <laughs> bus, oh. B-U-S. Uh, Not a butt. She's, she's a wacky science teacher. And she's got, like, stuff on her dress.
1: She is wacky with stuff on her dress. No idea. Do you need a hint? Yeah. Uh, her bus is magical. Miss Frizzle? It is Miss Frizzle. It is a tie game.
2: That, that I was going to be so sad if I this, like, a children's
1: book or something? It is a children's book and TV show, Ugh. yes. What mustachioed teacher is in charge of the AV club and science in the TV show Stranger Things? Oh man? man. I'm never gonna know, I'm never gonna remember. Yeah. yeah. Hint. The hint that comes to mind, cause I didn't write hints cause I'm stupid. What's the name of my fifth grade teacher? Because they share a name. Let's see, he shares a name with Superman.
0: Clark, Mr. Clark?
1: It is Mr. Clark, Chad. Okay, what short king of a teacher said, Fear is the path to the dark side.
0: Yoda. I see that. It's
1: Yoda. It is currently nine to eight with two questions left. Who taught Leonardo and Raphael their skills? Chad. Splinter. Yes, Master Splinter. We're gonna get some millennial action here. Sarah, as a Gen Xer, I hope you can pull this out. Chad is up by one. One question left. Here we go. Who was the charms teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry? Chad. I'm just gonna say Snape, because that's the only one I can think of. It is not Snape, no. Sarah, you can win it all with this, or you can tie it with a hint. Hint. The last part of his last name is the thing that burns on a candle.
2: The only thing I can think of is Fezziwick.
1: Oh, you're so close. It does start with an F. A person that does the first half of this name kind of like goes from thing to thing without thinking about it, and it starts with an F. Frenzywick? No, that's a good guess. (laughs) Frenzywick. <laughs> okay it's professor flitwick flit flitwick. <laughs> yeah okay well uh with that bummer of a last question womp womp. we ended up with chad with 10 points sarah with a close but respectable nine congratulations chad you managed to uh, pull it out in the end. Yeah, I
0: don't even feel good about and it. And
1: block Sarah from knowing what Flitwick was.
0: Those were tough. Tell, please tell your students that they did a very nice job putting together a very difficult quiz.
1: It was a very difficult quiz.
0: And that's our show. Special thanks to Clint's wife, Nikki, for our great theme music. And a big shout out to our pal, Sarah Oyan for being our first ever special guest.
1: Woohoo! What a couple of queens! Do you have questions for us? Or comments about how you're dealing with the ever-crushing demands of being an educator in 2024. Send
0: us an email at schooljapodcast at gmail.com and your comments
1: might get featured on the show. And don't forget about our website, schooljapod.com and big news! We're now on Spotify, Amazon, and Audible. So many places to find us. Please rate and leave us a review wherever you're listening. It really helps other people find the show. If you don't have time for that, share the show with a friend. Or, if that seems too hard... Try tattooing our logo across your neck. That would be quite a conversation starter. Indeed. Thanks for listening.